The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Well, welcome. Glad that you're here. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at City Rev, and I bring you greetings from Cooper City. Uh, it's, good. it's good to be here at West Pines, but I miss my Cooper City family that's worshiping over there. Uh, but uh, hey, it's been, it's been a while since I've been here. It's great to see uh, faces, familiar faces, and uh, just a blessing to be at one church in two locations reaching out into this city. Excited to be able to partner together in that way. Uh, well, I want to invite you, if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be in a couple of places throughout the Bible, but we're going to start in Genesis 2. Uh, but before we get there, while you're turning, I want to turn your attention to a date in history. It was April 25th, 2015. I got that date right. Uh, April 25th, 2015. I was at the time in, uh, at Edgewood Baptist Church in Lakeland, Florida. I was in this room that was kind of in this like dining hall area off to the side, and I was putting my wedding suit on, okay? So I'm getting dressed. The wedding photographer is there. This is the awkward part about weddings these days. They take pictures of you getting dressed for the photo book, you know what I'm saying? So I'm doing the tie, double Windsor. You know, I practiced multiple times. This is a big day. So I'm getting my tie on. The photographer's like, okay, taking every picture, and then asked me to do the move again where you do the loop through. The fellows know what I'm talking about. The, the, like through the whole thing. So I'm doing that again. The photographer. And so I finally put on my jacket, tie all ready to go. I start to walk back towards the other groomsmen who were hanging out in the room. And it was at that moment that the weight of what was about to transpire just kind of hit me. I was all cool, calm, collected, like, you know, ice in my veins up until that moment, hanging out with my boys, my father-in-law. He had picked up a bunch of chicken for us to chow down on, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't eat anything. I got nervous, okay? I carry stress in my stomach, okay? My, my small intestines do a double Windsor when I'm getting stressed, so I, I'm feeling like achy and nervous and they're all talking small talk hey you excited bro and I'm like yeah I'm excited and then I just I just had a moment where I was kind of shaken now my nerves did not come from you know whether or not I was making the right decision I was very clear on that I was pumped to marry Amy that was not the the nerve source at all what happened in that moment as I reflect on it it was as if the significance of what would transpire in the moments that would follow started to really sink in. Like I was about to stand before the people I love and before God and say some pretty big words. Like I promise to cherish you in sickness and in health forever. I'm not going anywhere. There's nothing you can do that will ever get me to walk away from you type of commitment. The weight of that just started to mess with me a little bit. Fortunately for us, uh, we had the, arranged that day to do kind of one of those first look picture photo opportunities. So Amy and I, we actually saw each other before the ceremony. And the moment I saw her, my nerves kind of just got swallowed up in just sheer joy as I saw her. And we had that moment. But I'll never forget that day, that time when, for the first time, the weight of marriage really sank in on me. Maybe you can relate. Maybe for you it wasn't on your wedding day. Maybe it was like two months into marriage if you're married. 
Or maybe for you, it's just recently, or you, when you got engaged, the, the weight of it, or even talking about the prospect of getting engaged, it started to weigh on you. And really, if you haven't had that moment yet when it started to mess with you that you are committing to one human to be with them no matter what, if the weight of that hasn't hit you, well, then maybe you haven't spent enough time thinking about it. And as life goes on, Amy and I, we've been married now over six years. As life goes on, it's felt kind of like this, and I bet many of you can resonate. It's felt like, you know, we got married and we had our marriage plate spinning and it was going well and smooth. And then another plate was added on to us, job responsibilities. And uh, then we're saving up for a home and then another plate's handed to us. Here's a baby, right? And life goes on and more plates come. And as the responsibilities of life start to pick up, you're realizing, okay, I've got this plate over here, that can't fall down. I've got this plate over here, uh, that can't fall down or I'll get fired and then we won't have any money and then we'll be on the street. And I got this plate over here, that's this second baby that we just had. And then over here, surprise, third baby, you know, and all this is happening. Meanwhile, it's so easy for us in the responsibility, in the day-to-day life, to forget, neglect, or sometimes sacrifice that first plate. The plate we started off joyfully spinning as best friends in marriage, it's sometimes the responsibilities, good things in life that come that suck out the air in the relationship. Today we're talking through and we're beginning a new series called Renew. We're having a conversation about what it looks like to recalibrate some things in our family lives. And it's our prayer, whether you're single, married, divorced, remarried, whether you're someone who's a young adult preparing for marriage or even a high school student, wherever you're at in life, our prayer is that this series would do one of a few things. It would either be preventative medicine, that through this series, this would be like you going and preventing future heartache, preventing future mistakes, that it would prepare you for what's to come. Number two, that perhaps it's not preventative medicine. Maybe for you, it's kind of PT. Maybe there's some things in your family life that have gotten out of whack and this series can kind of serve as, hey, let's work on some things, re-engage some exercises to get some mobility back. For some of us, this series needs to be just a checkup. Uh, Some of us have marriages right now, families right now, relationships that are thriving and good. And so we just need that practice of having a checkup to hone in and see, okay, where can I improve? Where have I grown? But for many of us, I believe, and, and I'm praying that this series will serve as a diagnosis, will serve as a way to put your finger on something that's been there kind of lingering underneath the surface and that this is God's gracious invitation to you to walk into the abundance he has for you. And so with that framework in mind, here's the proposition for today that I wanna introduce to you that's gonna guide our time and we're gonna see here established in Genesis 2. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. Here's what it is, is that after your relationship with God, Your relationship with your spouse is your first priority. For those of us who are married, for those of us who hope to be married one day, this is something you need to know. This is something that's taught in scripture that after your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse is your first priority. 
And there's a powerful why to this that we're going to explore today. Why is it that God would say this in particular? Why not your children be your first priority? Why not your, why not your career, your calling? Why not that be your first priority after your relationship? Why, why is it that God would establish what's his design in that? And second, we're going to then ask the question, how do we go about protecting our relationship? Our marriage relationship, when responsibilities come, how can we protect those plates from falling? So with that, I want you to look with me, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Here's what the scripture says, Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, for the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into, he fashioned into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here's what's happening. Genesis 2 is the Bible's accounting for the origins of humanity. It gives us a window with beautiful imagery of God forming man and woman each with a spark of God's very very nature that were made in the image of God. And God brings the woman to the man. And I want to read verse 24 again because this is going to be the focus of our time together exploring this concept. Verse 24 it says, "Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother." And hold fast to, or your translation might read, and be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Right here at the very beginning of what the Bible describes as the origins of humanity, we read about God instituting marriage. It's no coincidence that from the outset, marriage, it's very significant. It's at the center across cultures, across time periods. It's at the center of the human experience. And this does not mean you have to be married to be human. We follow a savior who himself was single and he was fully whole and he lived a great life as a single man. At the same time, we can't neglect the fact that right there at the very beginning, as the Bible is introducing the themes that are gonna to continue to be developed throughout the rest of the narrative story, that right here we read about God creating this institution, creating marriage. And we're told here that man should leave his father and mother, that one day a boy will grow and mature into adulthood, leave his family and be united to his wife that there's a new family that starts to be birthed. There's a new family created in marriage. There's a separation of allegiances. We always honor our father and mother. That's our calling from God to honor them. Into adulthood, we're called to honor our father and mother. But the first priority 
established here in Genesis 2, we are to leave our father and mother, hold fast to our spouse. This theme is picked up on by Jesus in Matthew 19. I want you to hear how Jesus quotes this verse and then gives us a little bit of a richer interpretation of it. Look at Matthew 19, verse 5. Jesus, he's commenting and he says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. This should sound familiar. He's directly quoting it. And the two shall become one flesh. Here's his interpretation. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus gives us a little bit of a taste and brings something to the foreground that's a little bit in the background of Genesis 2. He makes the distinction, he brings it with clarity. He says, God is the one who joins man and wife together in marriage. That the mystery of marriage is two humans, two individuals, a man and a woman coming together and God is at work in that union making them one. It's a mystery. And Jesus says, what God has made one, let no man separate. Let nothing come between and drive a wedge between a man and a woman in marriage. Paul continues this thought in Ephesians chapter five. The New Testament continues to develop. Uh, this idea he quotes as well from Genesis 2.24, but Paul gives us this nuance. All throughout the story of the Bible, we read about a God who's in pursuit of his unfaithful people. And the metaphor that's used throughout the scripture is that God is like this groom who loves his bride, who's passionate about his bride. And God is in pursuit of his bride. He wants relationship with his bride. He wants his bride's affection, but his bride has been unfaithful. This picture of marriage is used throughout the, the Old Testament and New Testament to describe the way in which God as a groom relates to his people as his bride. And Paul in Ephesians chapter five quotes Genesis 2:24: a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two will become one flesh. And Paul says this, he says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, Paul quotes Genesis 2.24, and he says what this verse is really pointing to, the mystery of it, it's referring to Jesus and his relationship with his people, the church. And he has this whole section that's beautiful that describes the Christian vision of marriage whereby a husband, what it looks like to be a faithful husband is that you have the honor of pouring yourself out in service to your bride that you have the unique calling as husband to get to sacrifice and place the needs of your bride above your own needs. That, that you, just like your savior Jesus, get to get down and wash her feet. Serve her as one who considers her needs above your own. It's this beautiful picture that husbands are called to be like Jesus in the way he loves and pursues his bride, the church. How much did Jesus love his church? He gave everything for her. He gave his life for her. He poured himself out for his bride. His death on the cross, we're told that Jesus went to his death with joy in his heart. With joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because he was a groom in pursuit of his bride. Paul says, husbands, that's your cue. 
that wives, we're told in Ephesians 5, it's this picture we, that wives serve as the bride who trusts her faithful husband, who trusts the groom, who entrusts the leadership of the family to him and walks with him and is faithful and values and honors him. It's this beautiful picture of humility in both directions, serving one another. And Paul describes this, it's kind of like a silhouette. So just picture with me a silhouette for a moment and what a silhouette does. Uh, if you were to see a silhouette of your spouse, for example, you should be able to tell that that's your spouse. In other words, because the silhouette, it doesn't give the full detail. It doesn't give you the full color. It doesn't give you the texture and the depth and the aspect of the person's presence. But what a silhouette does is it gives you enough to be able to recognize it when it's the real thing. Marriage is given to us by God in some ways kind of like a silhouette. In Ephesians 5, Paul is getting at marriage when it's at its best, marriage when it's thriving as God has designed it. It paints this silhouette for us so that we might be able to see the real thing, the love that Jesus has for his people, the way he pursues his bride with this unfailing commitment. This is the vision of marriage that's given in the scripture as it unfolds. And so think with me, that's the theological significance of marriage and of Genesis 2.24. I want you to think of the practical significance of this. Practically speaking, this is brilliant that the Bible has this type of arrangement. Leave your father and mother, hold fast to your spouse. Here's why, we, we know this and we've seen this. Maybe you're familiar with the term, I was introduced to it the other day, of a helicopter parent. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A helicopter parent. So we think of like, I've got young children. Right now I'm in the helicopter parent stage with my two-year-old, okay? We've got a, a almost four-month-old and we have a two-year-old and I am helicopter parent when it's the two of them around. He's a bruiser. He only knows one speed, okay? And at any given moment, if I take my eyes off of him, like he could be thinking he's being cute with her, but he's actually like scratching her face. So I am helicopter dad around him. I need to hover. Now that principle that plays out in childhood, unfortunately, that can continue on into adulthood. And maybe some of you, you've experienced the dysfunction that comes in a marriage when helicopter parents try and set the agenda and control and manipulate a marriage that's not theirs. And that idea of helicopter parenting, the fact that this is a blessing, the Bible says always honor your parents, but your primary allegiance, your first priority is to your spouse such that if there are expectations that your parents are placing on your spouse that are crushing them, or if there's something going on, that your spouse is your first priority. There's such practical wisdom in that. Many of us maybe have experienced that, have had to set boundaries for that reason, still showing love and honor, but setting appropriate boundaries. Now, here's the thing about this phenomena. Uh, we think about this leaving, holding fast to your wife, you know, for those of you as you think about your in-laws, yeah, like I am glad they are not controlling and helicoptering over our home constantly. Love them, but that would not be healthy. Here's what we sometimes forget to do. We forget to play the leave and cleave principle forward. We forget that that's also going to apply to us and our children. 
We forget that God has not called us as those who are husband and wife. He has not called us to become one with our children. God has called us to become one with our spouse. And as we raise children whom we love and we would do anything for, what often happens is the plates start coming and responsibilities pick up and then our marriage starts to get wobbly and every now and again we give it a spin and we walk away and what ends up happening is our marriage relationship that at one point was characterized by wonder, awe, love, pinch me, we get to live together and be best friends forever, this is amazing, to all of a sudden your marriage moves into roommate mentality. Your marriage becomes an arrangement whereby you live in the same home under the same roof and your communication is pretty much limited to logistics and planning your calendar. How does that happen? How does that unfold in our lives? And so that's why God in his wisdom, he says, after your relationship with me, your marriage is your first priority. If there's something you're going to cultivate, if there's something you're going to put your energy in, start there. The question we should ask, and rightfully so, is why? Why that? Here's what I would submit to you. Marriage uniquely has the capacity to touch and influence every other area of your life in ways that very few things do. I want to read this to you. Uh, this is Proverbs 25, verse 24. This is uh, from a book in the Bible. It's written from a man named Solomon. He's giving instruction to his sons. So you'll notice in this verse, it's written as though it's to a son. The principle, though, applies both ways to men and women. Listen to what this says, Proverbs 25, verse 24. It's better to live in a corner of the housetop on the roof than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Don't laugh. She's watching you, man. Think about this. It's better to be subject to rain and wind and lightning and all the elements and be on your roof than to be subject to a quarrelsome spouse. That's what this is saying. It's intense language. I want you to read the opposite now. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. Here's what this describes. He says, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Listen to that language. Uh, she is far more precious than jewels. Give me all the treasure you want, all the jewels you can think of. Give me a wife, an excellent wife. I'll take that anytime. Hey, he says that the man who has this type of wife, her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Here's the principle. That marriage has this capacity when your marriage is a blessing, when there's a growing, thriving, loving relationship between you and your spouse, that means that your career could be going in the wrong direction, your children could be struggling, you may not be where you thought you'd be in life, but if you have the security and the friendship of a loving spouse, that will anchor you and bless you as you walk through those challenges. It's far more precious than jewels to have a spouse, an excellent spouse, and a marriage that has been tended and cared for and prioritized. 
But the opposite is also true. You could have a thriving career, be farther along than you ever dreamed. Kids got the scholarship. They're playing sports in college. Everything on the outside seems to be going well, but you come back home and your relationship with your spouse is empty, broken, and awkward. Man, that'll suck the joy out of all of those other areas. You see, marriage, it's so core. It's so important. There are only two things in the Bible that God calls us to become one in this way with, with our spouses and with our Savior. We're called to become one with Jesus, united to Jesus as his bride together. And we're called to become one with our spouses. So God, in his wisdom, in his wisdom, he says, this is priority above everything else. It's priority, yet why is it so easy then for couples who once passionately loved each other and started off on their wedding day with fluttering nerves, yes, but excitement and anticipation. How is it possible to drift so far apart? I want you to think for a moment about flight navigation. Flight navigation, back in the day when there was no GPS. So think about having to get coordinates and follow a compass, okay, that type of navigation. And with that in mind, I wanna to introduce to you a story I came across this week. It was November 28th, 1979. A flight departed Auckland Airport in South Africa on a tourist trip to fly over Antarctica. There was about 200 or so passengers on board that had paid to go on this trip to get sights of very famous uh, isolated continent. And what they didn't realize, the pilots that day, it was their first trip on this particular route, what they didn't realize is that the airline had given a correction to the coordinates that they were issued. The night before the flight, there was a correction in the direction they were supposed to head. The problem is the airline didn't notify the pilots. I want you to see this picture. This was their flight path. The dotted line is the correct path that the airline never sent to them and the actual flight path that was off by a couple degrees essentially landed them right into the second tallest volcano in Antarctica and all passengers that day tragically passed away. Here's what I want you to think about. All it takes is small misalignment, a tiny fraction of misalignment. If you give it enough distance and time, it can produce tragic results. That small misalignment for priorities for a little bit, for a season, like sometimes pilots do that all the time, right? There's weather we need to avoid. Hey, let's go around it, but we're not just gonna keep going in that direction. We're gonna correct and go back in that direction. But small misalignment over a significant distance can produce this miles apart reality. And for these individuals in this occasion, it resulted in the end of their life. This is not all that dissimilar from what happens in marriage. What happens in marriage, sometimes it sounds like this. A good thing comes, a baby, a child, a wonderful thing, a blessing. And we come to this place in marriage where we say, hey, for a season, we're just, it's gonna be hard for us to get time together. We're just gonna need to kind of 
hunker down a little bit, but hey, you know, it's only a season. Or a promotion will come, a new job opportunity will come, and it'll help us get to where we said we've wanted to be. And so we kind of make the decision together, hey, we're going to sacrifice kind of the time we would normally spend together because of this, but it's going to be for a season. Or, or, or perhaps our children, it's that time of year where all three of them are playing different sports leagues, and this one's traveling here, and this one's got a weekend over here, and this one's got a social event here, and hey, listen, for a season, we just need to prioritize the kids. And all of those situations are legitimate. All of those are situations that come, and many of those are blessings from God. Here's where the challenge, here's where the rub comes. It's when we lie about the season part. And we sink in to this path where we've let something else become priority for months and years and a decade And before long, you just kind of grow accustomed to that way of life. And you open your eyes one day and you realize your marriage, it is miles away from what it used to be. Small misalignment over significant time and distance. It results in this. And Jesus' words are what God has joined together, let no one separate. What God has joined together, let no child separate. Let no vicarious living through the success of your children separate. Let no running so busy of a schedule you have zero time for one another separate. Let no career move or career opportunity separate. Again, all of those things may be good and God may be opening doors for that career move and that's wonderful and God may be opening doors for more children in your family and being involved and engaged in different ways. That's amazing. But let it not come at the expense of the person we stood before and said, I'm becoming one with you. Jesus would say, let no one separate. The biggest blessing in the end, we could leave our children. If we think about it, more important than the life and the vacations we can offer them. More important than whether or not we gave them the opportunity to travel this and travel that and all those things that are wonderful. More important than that is that they've seen in their home, mom and dad prioritize one another and that we ourselves have prepared them to one day leave us and hold fast to their spouse that they've seen it. What a blessing and heritage to give to our children. For them to know mom and dad love them, oh yeah, but it doesn't compare to how much they love each other. And that sets them up for what's to come in their lives. So the question that I wanna turn our attention to is how do we protect? How do we protect? Life is busy, the plates come, and we need to be saying yes to these plates. There are are opportunities that come that God invites us to say yes to. So how do we protect ourselves as new responsibilities come, new opportunities come? How do we see to it that we don't neglect what should be our first priority? Three things, I want you to write these down. They'll be on the screen as well. Number one, especially as life gets busy. Number one, find creative ways to consistently communicate. Find creative ways to consistently communicate. 
for my young, uh, newly married friends who are listening, watching, or here in person or at Cooper City, I remember when Amy and I first got married, this was our Saturday morning routine. We could wake up whenever we wanted. That sounds awesome, right? So we could wake up whenever we wanted, and we would do this thing called Saturday Six. It's something we started when we got engaged. It was six questions we'd ask each other every Saturday. And they were deeper questions than what you would talk through on a day-to-day basis. They were just a way of kind of bringing out communication, checking in, sharing our heart, sharing our fears. Questions like, hey, what is God teaching you? What did you learn in scripture this week? Questions like, uh, hey, what can we thank God and be, be grateful for? Questions like, hey, what did I do this week that hurt you? Is there anything I could do better as a husband? So we'd ask each other these questions. And then what ended up happening is we started having kids. Our Saturday six became like a Thursday three. Uh, and so we had to get creative with it. And we kind of structured it down, trimmed it down, and did what we could. And then, like, we kept, you know, we, more responsibilities come. Life gets crazier. And now it's, it's a challenge. Like, it's hard enough just to communicate the logistics and details of the week, let alone to get to know your spouse and pursue them relationally on a deeper level, on an emotional level. Like, you got to get creative, you got to figure out times. Is it like the kind of season where it's phone calls to work? You're on the phone with each other rather than listening to sports radio? Uh, like, is it the type of season where it's like, hey, after we put the kids down, before we clean up, we need to spend time sitting on the couch together? Like, what is it that you need to? Because communication, communication, it's the baseline for all relationships. So the moment that gets choked out, that is a significant misalignment that, again, it happens for seasons when you're not at your best, but when that becomes normative for years. You turn and you look at your spouse, and it's like you don't even know them. Miles apart. Forget how to relate to them. So number one, creative ways to consistently communicate. Number two, set limits to seasons of sacrificing time with your spouse. Set limits. Here's what I mean by that. If there's something new, a new plate that gets added to you, set an agenda and a time. Hey, we're going to revisit this six months in March or whenever that is. Six months from now, we're going to plan a day, a Saturday, and we're going to check in. Is, is this working? Is it worth it? Is it what we signed up for? How are we doing? Set limits to it. Don't allow yourself to add another plate and not evaluate how it's affecting your marriage. What that does is it's kind of like our way of, if we're, you know, to use the pilot analogy, it's our way of looking at the GPS and saying, okay, where are we at? We knew this would be a little bit of a detour for us, but where are we at? And having that evaluation conversation, setting limits. Number three, I want you to write this down, is to date your spouse. Date your spouse. I just find it hard to believe that it's possible if you communicate regularly and you're talking on a heart level with your spouse on a consistent basis, and you're dating regularly. You're going out and being friends together, like you used to, having fun together. I find it hard to believe that you'll really drift apart. If that's a part of your rhythm, it's a part of your priority. Find a way, don't give up. I empathize, it is a tough season in the Chase household. We had a date planned for this weekend, and then something came up, and we had to cancel it, and we were bummed and we're like, okay, we got a plan for next weekend, but don't, don't neglect time with your spouse, special time together. Now, undoubtedly, for some of you, again, this is kind of like 
physical therapy. Okay, this is some good things I need to chew on, work on. For some of us, this is just a checkup and a reminder like, hey, you went to the dentist and you don't have any cavities, just, hey, just remember to floss. Like, this is that type of conversation. For others of us, it's like, hey, let me read you your lab results. And it's not looking good. And this might be the type of moment where you're kind of retreating back and maybe you're even feeling guilt or shame or embarrassment or being singled out. That's not me. I'm not doing that. And so what I want to share, if you're feeling like this hits close to home, whether you're right now in the place where you're like, I hate that this is where I am, or if right now you're in the place where you've just kind of given up and resigned, this is just how it's going to be. I want to share a little bit from my story, a little bit vulnerably in my own marriage, just how this has played out. This past, uh, this past year, Amy and I, we took our sabbatical. One of the blessings of being a, a pastor here at City Rev is every five years, we have the gift of, of being able to take a, a sabbatical where we get extra time to spend with family and uh, focus on our relationship with God to stay spiritually, emotionally, relationally healthy so that we can be at our best. So we, we had sabbatical, and Amy and I, it landed on our five-year wedding anniversary, so we had this plan that we had been saving up since the day we got married to go to Norway together. So excited. We were going to see the northern lights. It was going to be amazing. And so we had all these plans. We'd been saving up for five years for this one big trip, super pumped, and it landed on April 2020. We never went to Norway. And that happened. And that landed right in our sabbatical. And so, like all of you, I was home for those weeks. And I remember at first kind of being bummed out by not having that opportunity. I, I remember that. But then I started to ask the question, okay, God, like, is there a reason? Is there something in it that, you know, you, you were sovereign over when we picked to take sabbatical. This whole pandemic shutdown is not a surprise to you. It didn't catch you off guard. This landing here, I'm trusting you have something for me. And it was about halfway through, around Easter of 2020. Uh, Amy and I had a conversation. She had been leading up to that, that time, kind of in the middle of sabbatical. She had been sharing with me, kind of dropping hints that she was just feeling isolated, feeling hurt, feeling like, um, uh, like certain things in her soul just weren't right. And she was just kind of dropping those hints that are my cue as a husband to say, hey, let's talk, let's sit, let, what's going on, and listen. And I kind of just like missed all those cues. And so time goes on, time goes on, and it kind of just had a, had a moment where Amy starts sharing with me very honestly and transparently. And she starts sharing about what she's been processing through in her mind and how it's felt like I haven't paid any attention to it. About how I had been so consumed with things like maintaining the things around the house, house projects, this, this over here, that over there, and I had neglected her. And she shared that with me, and I remember as a husband, like feeling just like I'd been punched in the gut. And it wasn't the way she said it. She said it compassionately, kindly. But what hurt is the fact that she was right. And so I remember that night, we had this conversation. I just didn't say a word. Couldn't say anything. Didn't know what to say. The next morning I asked, I said, hey, is it all right if I just kind of get some alone time this morning to think and pray about what you shared, process through it? She said, yes, please. So I go off and get some alone time. Uh, of all places, I don't know why I go to the place where my grandmother's buried. 
I spend time praying and God begins to just break me of the things that I've placed ahead of caring for her. It's not that our marriage was like dysfunctional and that we had arguments and that we didn't love each other. It wasn't that at all. We were great in some ways. But as a husband, I wasn't living up to my calling. There was some misalignment. And by God's grace, my wake-up call came. And so I was broken, I was crying, I was praying, and then eventually God just started to... Here's the thing about repentance. Repentance isn't repentance until you've reached praise, where you realize that because of Jesus, you're forgiven, that God knows your struggle, he still loves you, he's not giving up on you, his grace is sufficient for you, he wants to empower you to grow from this and move on from this and receive, receive the mercy to be able to love her again. And so I started to feel that encouragement and that empowerment. So I went home that day and I, I talked to her later that morning and I shared with her what I was praying about. I apologized, I confessed that to her and I said, I want it to be different now. I want it to be different now. I share that with you all because maybe you're in the place where this is kind of like a wake-up call and in some ways a punch in the gut. And my invitation to you is to come to the one who invites you in your brokenness to humbly bow yourself before him, receive his grace and mercy that's sufficient for you because it doesn't have to stay that way. You don't have to remain that way. There is joy. There is new wonder and new adventure again in pursuing your spouse. It's what God wants for you. He wants your love for each other to be that silhouette that people can see and get a sense and picture of who Jesus is and of his amazing love for his bride, the church. He wants that for you. He wants that for me. And so wherever you're, you're at, regardless of where you're at on the spectrum, physical therapy, just a check-in, or an intervention. Don't miss what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. This may be, set up, may be setting up a conversation that you need to have with God and with your spouse, a time to check in, evaluate how are we doing. The enemy wants to lie to you and say that they'll never change. The enemy will whisper to you, yeah, but that's not me, that's not my case. The lies will come and say, no, you don't understand my spouse. That'll never happen. See, we serve a savior who went and stood in front of tombs where dead people laid and called them, what, called them to come out and live. There's nothing too hard for God. And God is looking for a people who will dare to believe and trust and have the humility to lean on him and not give in. There are marriages that God wants to restore starting today of good things that have come, children that have come, and have started to separate what God has joined together. It doesn't have to stay that way. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray together. First and foremost, I wanna to speak to those who are here that have never trusted in Jesus as your savior. You've never received the love of the ultimate groom God himself, who sent his son Jesus to rescue you, you've never received his love, you've never experienced his grace and his mercy. God calls you to humble yourself, repent, turn from your sins, and turn to your savior Jesus. 
That's his invitation to you right now. How do I do that? Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so right there where you are, you confess, Jesus, you are in charge of my life. I am not your Lord. I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my life, change me, save me. And then I just wanna take a moment, I wanna give the opportunity if there's anybody here that just wants prayer. And maybe you're overwhelmed right now and you don't know all that this means and you were just coming to church today and you didn't know what to expect, but maybe this has hit really close to home. And you're trying to process through what's next, what do I have to do, what's God calling me to? I just wanna invite you to one simple step, one simple step. If you're here with your spouse right now and you're sitting together, I wanna to invite you to just hold hands. Just hold hands with your spouse. If your spouse isn't here, I want you to begin just praying for them. Maybe there's some things you need to forgive that they've done, bitterness you've been holding on to. Maybe there's some things that that you've done, you need to ask their forgiveness. Would you just confess those things to the Lord right now? He already knows. Would you humble yourself now? Invite God in. Father in heaven, we come to you today, imperfect people. In so many ways, Lord, all of our silhouettes, they're all imperfect. We're all in process. We're on a journey. But Lord, it's our desire that at each passing year, that our marriages, that the love we have for another would increasingly look like your love. Oh Lord, may it not be that our best years of marriage are behind us, but that as we pursue you, as we grow as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we mature in Christ, Lord Jesus, may we be a people that more and more those around us can look at the way we love and serve each other and see something of Christ in us. Lord, may that be the heritage we pass down to our children, that they would see the love between a husband and wife as a model for what they can hope to one day experience themselves. Lord, I pray for those in the room that this is a difficult subject because they've been burned this is bringing up old wounds. Lord, would you minister healing to them? Remind them that at the end of the day, we actually do have the real thing. We have the real spouse. Silhouette aside, we have a relationship with the living God. And nothing in our past can change that. Wash over us with your grace, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, here's what I'd say. If you made that decision a moment ago to put your faith in Jesus as your savior. I wanna invite you, I wanna invite you to grab that connection card you got when you walked in. Mark the spot that says, I put my faith in Jesus for the first time. Let us know, we wanna celebrate that with you. We wanna give you a Bible. The other thing I'd say is this, this may be set up afternoon conversation with your spouse, evening conversation with your spouse, whatever it is. Don't miss what the Lord is trying to alert you to. 
He's speaking, he's speaking, and he wants to work in your life. Don't miss it. He's inviting you into life. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna close in worship. So would you go ahead and stand with us? Let's make room for God. Let's worship him, sing to him with all that we have. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.